0: We've been waiting for you. Come on in, it's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reimer. Today, nationally recognized professional auditor, coder, and educator Terry Fletcher asks the daunting question, are you leaving money on the table? Former CMS career professional and healthcare IT authority Stanley Notkinson reports the latest regulatory news from Washington. Senior healthcare consultant Lori Johnson has the latest coding news, plus Dr. Reimer presents her talkback segment. Now here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and a man who would love to come to your holiday party and bring his accordion, Chuck Buck.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Clark Anthony, very much. Yeah, the stomach stand way, they call it. Yeah, thanks, Clark, very much. And hello, everybody. Welcome to the 487th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. And good morning, Erica.
2: And now I really want to know, do you actually <laughs> play the accordion?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lady of Spain is a very favorite of mine.
2: <laughs> well, good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone.
1: Hey, happy Hanukkah, Erica, and happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish colleagues out there.
2: Yes, Hanukkah started on Sunday night.
1: And uh, I want to get a reaction from you, uh, if I may. I read an article in the Atlantic magazine that healthcare workers are, according to the magazine, quitting in droves. Now, are you seeing that among your healthcare workers?
2: Well, I can tell you that I personally lost several of my he- own health care providers in the course of the last 18 months. I think some of them were nearing retirement, and they just kind of said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Um, I also know of some emergency department nurses who have taken to doing locum tenens work because they make a lot more money doing it. And I think that the shortage of staffing in health care is going to be a story for a long time to come.
1: Thanks, Erica, very much. Now, on another subject, isn't there an upcoming ACPA Town Hall sometime soon?
2: Yes, Chuck, there is. Ahmed Abu Abdu is moderating the American College of Physician Advisors CDI Town Hall on December 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And I am one of the panelists. It is free and open to everyone you don't need to be a physician advisor, so you should spread your word, spread the word to your CDI colleagues. Um, it's December 8th at 7 p.m., and you can go to ACP Advisors, so it's ACPA, and then D V I S O R S .dot org, um, and you can uh, just register and you, you can submit some questions. And I think it'll be really great. Thanks for asking, Chuck.
1: Very good. And it's about clinical documentation. And uh, that gives me a great segue to your talk back, right?
2: Yes, I'm actually talking about findings from a study about documentation trends. And then next week, I am going to try to give you an update on the new COVID-19 variant, Omicron.
1: Well, we look forward, as usual, to your Talkback segment very much. It is Giving Tuesday, November the 30th, and Cyber Monday continues today, even though it's not Monday. But now through December 3rd, you get 30% off on any purchase at both bookstores for REC Monitor and IT10 Monitor. And when you go to the checkout, simply use this code, CYBER30. And by the way, you're listening to the 487th live edition of Talk Ten Tuesday. Stand by.
0: Capturing the full reimbursement for patient care becomes more elusive with each passing day. Not only are payment denials growing in volume, but payers are finding new creative ways to hold on to their money. Plus, rules and regulations can vary from one payer to the next. And even if your claim is approved for payment today, it might be rejected tomorrow based on ever-changing clinical criteria and policies. Don't settle for less than what you're owed. In an exclusive ICD-10 Monitor webcast, learn from Robin Sewell how to start building a successful denial management program. Robin will walk you through crucial program elements, from assembling key players to establishing governance to building a clinical encoding reference library of appeal templates, audit checklists, tip cards, and cheat sheets. She'll also provide practical guidance on organizing data collection workflow Designing dashboards that deliver meaningful insights and developing key performance indicators. Register now to attend Get Paid What You're Owed, Build a Denial Management Program. This webcast is tomorrow, December 1st at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Register now at the ICD University Bookstore.
1: Here now with the Tuckton Tuesday Coding Report is our pal, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori.
3: Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica. And hello to our listeners and happy Hanukkah to our listeners who are celebrating this week. On this last day of November, I want to remember the people who have Alzheimer's disease, which is abbreviated AD. November is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Some symptoms of Alzheimer's include increased memory loss, inability to learn new things, difficulty with language and problems with reading, writing, and working with numbers, difficulty organizing thoughts and thinking logically, shortened attention span, and difficulty coping with new situations. The stages of Alzheimer's include mild, moderate, and severe. The stages should not be confused with early onset, which is when people have signs and symptoms between the ages of 30 and their mid-60s, and late onset, which is when the person first shows signs in mid-60s. Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. Women are more likely to get the disease. Heart disease can be a risk factor for Alzheimer's. The Alzheimer's Association states that AD is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States. Alzheimer's disease is coded as G30.9 if it is not modified as early onset, which is G30.0, or late onset, G30.1. These conditions are HCCs and are important to capture. If the patient has dementia, then codes F0281 with behavioral disturbance or F02.80 without behavioral disturbance are added there is a coding instruction under the the G30 category that delirium F05 may be added if applicable. As a person who is a caregiver to an Alzheimer's patient, I am asking everyone to remember friends and relatives with Alzheimer's disease during this holiday time. And now to shift gears a little bit, I would like to move to the listener survey. We would like to know a little bit more about you. So please tell us which category best fits your job description. Is it A inpatient coder? Is it B inpatient CDI? C outpatient coder D outpatient CDI E inpatient outpatient coding F inpatient and outpatient CDI G physician advisor H clinician, I consultant, and J, other. And we'll be back later in the program to reveal the results. And with that, back to you, Erica.
2: Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior health care consultant at Revenue Cycle Solutions LLC.
1: Now's the time for the RegWatch segment of our program. It features an recognized healthcare technology consultant. Stanley Knoxon, Good morning, Stanley. A lot of stuff coming out of Washington. What do we really need to know?
4: Good morning, Chuck, and good morning to all of our listeners. I thought I'd give us a brief end-of-the-year review as we look back on 2021 and the regulatory actions during that time. This was the first year of the new administration, so we saw some major policy shifts in the health regulation area. Some regulations were withdrawn, some were reversed. As well, the COVID-19 public health emergency was extended and continues to delay some expected new programs. The administration introduced the idea of health equity into the mainstream of its regulatory programs. While asking for public comment in a number of areas, CMS revised some quality measures and introduced some new pilot programs to achieve better health equity in the Medicare and Medicaid programs. We continue to see the coverage of telehealth being expanded from pre-pandemic levels, although it appears that some commercial plans may not be following suit. The usual coding updates for CPT and ICD-10 occurred with new codes for COVID-19 and for dealing with the social determinants of health to help achieve health equity. There were some payment increases for institutional providers. The physician Part B the schedule payments were somewhat reduced, but with a revision to help increase payments for primary care. The inpatient-only list, that list of procedures that Medicare will pay for only in inpatient settings, was brought back after previously being eliminated by the prior administration. Price transparency, especially under the No Surprises Act regulations, continues to be important as indicated by the recent increase in penalties for hospitals not publishing their contracted rates as required. The No Surprises Act regulations, effective January 1, 2022, eliminate out-of-network charges for emergency room visits and most in-network hospital visits for commercial health plans. The regulations also will require providers to give uninsured patients estimates for scheduled services within a few days of scheduling that service. Requirements under the Act to provide insured patients with these advanced estimates are expected soon, but will not be effective on January 1st, even though the law asked for that to happen. And in recent regulatory news, a new interim final rule requires health plans, health insurance issuers offering group or individual health insurance coverage, and health benefit plans offered to federal employees to submit key data to several government departments which will work through the HHS Assistant Secretary of Planning and Evaluation to publish a report on prescription drug pricing trends and rebates, as well as their impact on premiums and consumers' out-of-pocket costs. Plans and issuers must now provide the departments with an annual overview of their top 50 drugs across key areas of concern, including the most frequently dispensed brand prescription drugs, the costliest prescription drugs, and the prescription drugs that had the greatest increase in total annual plan spending over the previous year. These new data submission requirements will apply starting with data from the 2020 calendar year. However, the departments are deferring enforcement of the new requirements until December 27, 2022, to give the regulated entities time to come into compliance. That means the required information for 2020 and 2021 is not due until December 27th, 2022, although it may be submitted sooner. Dr. Reamer, let me turn it back to you.
2: Thank you, Stanley. I have a question for you. If they have to give estimates, how are they gonna figure it out if it like, you know, the anesthesiologist and the surgeon and the, you know, whatever the facility fee is, like how are they gonna figure out the estimates of charges?
4: Great question, Erica. The law actually requires uh, something called a convening provider, the lead provider for uh, a set of services, to gather information from all of the other providers involved in the service. So uh, if your orthopedic surgeon, for example, might schedule a knee replacement, it's up to that surgeon to contact the other uh, providers involved in that, the hospital, the anesthesiologist, perhaps physical therapy. And gather those estimates from those other providers. If you are insured, they're supposed to, the lead provider or convening provider is supposed to take that information, submit it to your health plan, and then the health plan will provide the overall estimate back to you as to your expected charges. If you're not insured, uh, the convening provider will gather all of those uh, different charges and provide it directly to the patient. Now, what CMS did was say, at least for the first year, from January 1st, 2022 to the end of the year, they're not going to uh, enforce the requirement to contact other providers, though. The convening provider will just provide their best estimate of their charges uh, to the patient. So CMS recognizes that the infrastructure to gather all of this information and put it together really doesn't exist, which is the basis of your question. No, right. <laughs> Yeah, and they're, so we're, they're expecting the industry to work together to figure out the best way to do that and provide some guidance to CMS so they can issue regulations requiring uh, the gathering of all that information. It's a, it's a tough one. Uh, it, it's something that's never been done before in healthcare. Uh, so we're all just trying to figure out. In fact, there are a number of organizations that are already working on, some types of electronic transactions to help providers communicate with each other and give the charges, and uh, submit charges both to the convening provider and to health plans.
2: Fascinating. Thank you so much, Stanley. That was the Healthcare IT Authority, Stanley Nockmson. Stanley is the founder of Nockmson Advisors, LLC. Chuck?
1: Coming up next, uh, the surprising results of the Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey. Then later in the broadcast, Terry Fletcher asks the question, are you leaving money on the table? This is Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by, everybody.
0: Consider the broad range of learning needs for everyone in your organization involved with coding, reimbursement, and compliance outpatient and inpatient coders, billing staff, CDI specialists, auditors, and compliance officers. Now envision one place where you could satisfy all these needs through webcasts, e-books, coding charts, premium news content, and more. The resources in this centralized hub would be accessible from any location at any time with any device for one affordable price. There is such a place. It's the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Get unlimited access to every MedLearn media resource contained in the libraries of MedLearn Publishing, ICD-10 Monitor, and Rack Monitor, all from one convenient location. View content whenever it's convenient for you from any location on the device of your choosing. It's the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Subscribe today!
1: Here now with the surprising results of today's Talk to Tuesday listener survey is, once again, Laurie Johnson.
3: Thank you, Chuck. And the results today from the listener survey are inpatient coder, 5%, inpatient CDIS, 15.6%, the outpatient coder, almost 13%, outpatient CDIS, 5%, inpatient and outpatient coding, 4.5%, Inpatient and outpatient CDI, 1%. Physician advisor, about 3%. Clinician, um, almost half a percent. And consultant, almost 8%. And other. And I have a request for those people that answered other. If you could write your job title in the QA field, so we can see what is included in that other, that would be really helpful. And with that, Chuck, back to you.
1: Thanks, Lori, very much. And here now with a preview of upcoming Talk 10 Tuesday broadcast is Clark Anthony.
0: Next Tuesday, our special guest will be Mary Stanfill, the new ICD-11 correspondent for Talk 10 Tuesday. Mary is the vice president of United Audit Systems and shall continue reporting on ICD-11. On December 14th, our final program for 2021, Gary Fletcher reveals little-known issues she's seen in the 2022 Medicare Physician Fee Schedule, and legendary HIM professional Rose Dunn will also join us with important advice on managing claim denials. Chuck?
1: Thanks, Clark, very much. Great lineup for the next couple of Tuesdays. So if you're going to be joining us here now with our lead story this morning about chronic care management. And, of course, the question always is, are you leaving money on the table? For the answer to that Vexing question here now is Terry Fletcher. Good morning, Terry.
5: Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. Yes, I'm asking this question on care management services since we are looking at a major reimbursement cut in 2022. Let's make sure we're capturing our work we're already doing and getting paid for it. So, with the breakthrough codes a few years back of chronic care management and the increasing use of these codes to address fragmented care and issues for patients with multiple chronic conditions. CMS will add now four new codes in the Category 1 section of CPT for principal care management. This now allows for extra reimbursement to providers managing complex patients who have one complex chronic condition that requires management by a specialist. The additional reimbursement of approximately $52 a month for PCM services could either encourage providers to adopt PCM or create some unaddressed challenges of staffing and implementation if the costs outweigh the administrative burden. However, reimbursement for activities clinicians are already performing should be evaluated to make the best practices decision of both PCM and CCM implementation to your practices. So, first, let's address what most physicians and practices have heard of, and that's chronic care management. These services are generally non face to face services provided to Medicare beneficiaries who have multiple, two or more, chronic conditions expected to last at least 12 months or until the death of the patient. Further, and this point is frequently overlooked, is that these chronic conditions place the patient at significant risk of death, acute exacerbation, decompensation, or functional decline. Per CPT 2021, this is an important distinction, So not to enroll all patients with two-plus chronic conditions into these management services. I think about my husband or my grandmother who have hypertension and hyperlipidemia that are managed well on medication and see the providers in person for periodic checkups. They may not qualify for chronic care management as their conditions do not place them in a state of significant risk of death or functional decline. They are otherwise healthy people, so keep that in mind. But let's say you have a patient with two chronic conditions that are difficult to control with medication or conservative management and find themselves with frequent medicine modifications or ER visits for acute exacerbations. Those types of patients would qualify for CCM services. It is important to note that these services have specific rules and guidelines that must be followed to support reimbursement and avoid audit exposure. Only one physician or other qualified healthcare professional who assumes the care management role for a beneficiary can bill for providing CCM services to that patient in a given calendar month. While services may be provided by a clinical staff, the service must be billed under the supervision of a QHP and one of the following, either a physician, MDDO, clinical nurse specialist, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, or a certified nurse midwife. Also, many providers and medical practices subcontracting with third-party companies to facilitate their care management services must be cautioned if the clinical staff employed by the case management company are located outside of the United States, so offshoring, there's a regulatory prohibition against payment for non-emergency Medicare services furnished outside of the United States. CCM services cannot be billed if they are provided to patients or by individuals located outside of the United States. There's been some noncompliance on this issue alone that I've been auditing. CCM is also a time-based service, and at least 20 minutes per month of clinical staff time must be accounted for and well-documented. Now, looking at principal care management for 2022, these codes are intended to reimburse physicians for that additional work they do for caring for high-risk patients with a single complex chronic condition. This includes the extra time and work required for medication adjustments, creating a care plan, and patient follow-up and more. A good example of this would be to be used would be maybe an allergist, treating a patient with uncontrolled asthma. These patients who have high-risk asthma could meet the criteria for these services as they are complicated patients, and the goal is to keep them out of the ER and hospital if they have flare-ups. The option could lessen those episodes of exacerbation with continued non-face-to-face management. The PCM and CCM have similar criteria but there is an addition with PCM as the condition is severe enough that the patient is at risk for hospitalization or was recently hospitalized due to the condition. Documentation will be the key to qualify for this patient. However, chronic care management also has a, in Congress, has an act right now that could eliminate the beneficiary cost sharing requirement. We don't have it yet for PCM, but if that is passed, Medicare may uh, cover the 100% of CCM. The Medicare Advantage plans do cover and reimburse for care management along with Medicare, but check on your private plans because they're not obligated to pay for these codes. So providers need to check with all payers. And then for more details on qualifiers for care management services and other chronic care management services, make sure you check out my article this week in icd10monitor.com. Chuck, back to you.
1: Thanks, Terry, very much. Very good advice. That was nationally recognized professional auditor, coder, and educator, Terry Fletcher. And be sure to read more on this very important topic, as she said, in today's ICD-10 Monitor. Now's the time for a very popular segment here at Talk Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer.
2: Thanks, Chuck. Is it your perception that clinical notes have grown longer and less informative? A study conducted at Oregon Health and Science University, a large academic medical center, seems to confirm this observation. They compared almost 3 million outpatient progress notes across 46 specialties and found that note length increased 60.1% from a median of 401 words in 2009 to 642 words in 2018. Median note redundancy, a function of copy and paste and templating, increased 10.9% from 47.9% to 58.8%. Residents and fellows were found to write significantly longer notes than more experienced clinicians. The result of this is note bloat. The issue is not confined to the outpatient setting, however. I was reviewing an inpatient medical record of a four-day stay for a project and it consisted of 855 pages. There were literally hundreds of pages of templated nurses' notes, vital sign flowcharts, and unending laboratory result readouts interspersed with highly templated and minimally informational provider notes. Locating the emergency department note and the admitting H&P was like finding a needle in a haystack of needles. Sometimes it is nearly impossible to ferret out the story of the encounter. The outpatient study found that median note lengths increased across all specialties, with an increase of 84.1% for adult specialties and 57.8% in pediatric services. By 2017-2018, the majority of the note was templated, with 55.9% templated, 14.7% copied, and 29.4% of text being directly typed. Note redundancy increased across all specialties and subgroups, but the worst offenders were the surgical specialties, which increased by 16.6%, and adult specialties, which crept up by 12.8%. In 2018, 38 of the 46 studied specialties exceeded a median note redundancy of 50%. This means more of the note was identical to the previous note than was newly crafted with novel information. Long and repetitive notes make it harder to care for patients. Critical information can be lost in the white noise. Generation of documentation through templating and copy and pasting can insert or propagate inaccurate or outdated information. Reader satisfaction is decreased, and medical decision-making is hindered by these behaviors. When I am teaching, I do an exercise with providers. I ask them to raise their hands if they love the convenience of copy and paste. They sheepishly all do so. I then ask them to raise their hands again if they love reading other people's copy and paste. They do not. The study suggests introducing a standardized note template and educating residents about documentation best practices improve the quality of the notes generated. They referenced other studies which recommended electronic solutions to decrease redundant importation of large data fields and design text prompts to encourage novel documentation. The impetus for much of this notebook was intimated as being related to billing. The evaluation and management requirements for office visits changed on January 1, 2021. Medical decision-making or time are now the basis for billing. Someone should reprise this study to see if the change in billing requirements affects how notes are composed. I strongly recommend facilities that have trainees and orientees should implement a documentation curriculum. Mine is set up as best documentation practices, the good, the bad, and the risky, documentation for quality and reimbursement, and clinical documentation, integrity. If any of your institutions are interested in accessing my provider modules at CME, have them check out icd10md.com. For single purchases, they can use the discount code ICDUNIV20, or for bulk pur- purchases, they can contact me for institutional pricing. I'd also be happy to do virtual training, anything to get mentation back into documentation. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks,
1: Erica, very much. Now, that's going to be a wrap for our 487th live edition of Talk Tuesday, and I want to thank our panelists today. Lori Johnson, Stanley Nicholson and Terry Fletcher, who reported our lead story. And as always, thanks to our co-host, Dr. Erica Remer. And remember, you can listen to all of Talk 10 Tuesday broadcasts on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do, rate us. Give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Have a great week.
0: Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.